Hello, Jazz Session listeners. I am Jason Crane, host of the Jazz Session, announcing the 100 by 300 campaign. That's right, my goal is to get 100 members by the 300th show to keep the Jazz Session going, and you can join very easily. Just visit thejazzsession.com and click on either the join link at the top of the page or the one on the side of the page. There are monthly levels starting at 10 bucks a month. There are yearly levels starting at $110 a year. Please join the people who have already become members and help keep the Jazz Session going. The Jazz Session receives no external funding from any source uh, up to and including All About Jazz, and that means for me to keep doing it, I need you. Thousands and thousands of you listen to every show, and if you could find the uh, the cost of maybe two cups of coffee uh, a month in your couch cushions, you can help keep the show going for years to come. That is the 100 by 300, 100 members by the 300th show. Join now at thejazzsession.com. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is available for free at thejazzsession.com. You can also subscribe via iTunes or an RSS reader, and the links to do that are at thejazzsession.com. Also at thejazzsession.com is uh, the join section now. I'd like you to become a member, please, if you can. If you are one of the thousands of people who listen to this show regularly, uh, I really need your help to keep the show going. And you can find all the details about that at thejazzsession.com slash join. A couple other uh, housekeeping notes. One is there is still time to go to podcastawards.com and vote for the Jazz Session in the cultural arts category. It doesn't cost anything. Uh, you don't have to sign up for a mailing list. You do have to give them your email because they'll send you a, a message as soon as you vote to verify your vote so they know you're not a, a computer spammer but you're, in fact, a human being. Uh, and you can, again, go to podcastawards.com and vote for the Jazz Session in the cultural arts category. And uh, if you are looking for other people to vote for, Citizen Radio is nominated in two different categories. And uh, I find that one of the things I have to listen to uh, three times a week, every week, a really brilliant political uh, and comedy show, Citizen Radio. You'll find them at wearecitizenradio.com, and you can vote for them, too, at uh, podcastawards.com. Also, just a note, uh, I noted this in the last show, but I'll mention it again about the uh, Amazon links. Uh, I've stopped providing those uh, both as a result of the whole WikiLeaks, Amazon, Joe Lieberman thing, and also because uh, if you buy the albums on Amazon, although a little bit of that money comes to me, a very tiny portion of it makes its way to the artist. And so I'd rather that you just follow the links to the artist's website and purchase their music uh, however they suggest that you do it. Okay, so uh, in the show notes to every show of the Jazz Session that has ever been produced, all 220-something of them, uh, you will find a link to the artist's website. So just go there and uh, buy the record however they suggest. Okay, thanks. My guest today is Jason Robinson, and if you're in a record-buying uh, mood, you can get three of his albums. He's just released three brand-new albums, um, a solo project, a duo project, and a, a full band album. The solo project is called Cerberus Raining, and uh, it begins with this tune called Broken Seals, which uh, I assume refers to the you know seals on a 
a jar or that kind of thing as opposed to you know, broken aquatic mammals. My guest is a composer and multi-instrumentalist Jason Robinson. He has three new records out, and we're going to uh, talk about each of them. Uh, but first, let me welcome Jason to the show and say thanks for being here. Yeah, well, thank you to you, Jason. It's a pleasure. So, uh, in trying to figure out how to how to structure this, I just to be cute, I decided we'll uh, we'll go in increasing order of the number of human beings on the record. So, uh, <laughs> Sounds like a good idea to me. <laughs> all right, it seems it's as arbitrary as anything else, I guess. But that means that we'll start with uh, Cerberus Raining, which is uh, a quote unquote solo saxophone record, but it it really is a lot more than that. Uh, it's the second in a series, and uh, I have also had some experience playing saxophone through Max MSP and really had a wow. blast, and, and that, that meant that I really uh, also really connected with some of the stuff you're doing on this record. Can you tell folks that kind of the concept behind this album and, and how you pulled it off? There's some pretty, uh, pretty fascinating stuff on this album. Ah, thanks a lot. Yeah, it is, as you mentioned, it's the second in a, a series, really a trilogy of, of conceptual solo saxophone releases. Uh, the first was titled uh, Cerberus Rising, which was released on the Circumvention label about a year, a little little more than a year ago, and that was completely acoustic uh, solo tenor saxophone playing. Um, uh, I was interested in sort of pursuing this long-term project of thinking about ways in which um, uh, solo saxophonists have developed different kinds of languages on the horn, um, so the natural place for me was to start um, completely acoustic. And I'd actually been touring doing that for, for uh, about five or so years. I'd been developing different kinds of pieces and, and different improvisational approaches and vocabularies. So the second in the series, uh, as you mentioned, is Cerberus Raining. And it was just released on the Accretions label. And it um, features me playing in real time with a full coterie of of different kinds of electroacoustic processing and, and effects. Um, one of the things I'm interested in doing over the series of these these three releases is 
creating a kind of myth science narrative, um, a sort of imaginary kind of landscape in which there is this three-belled saxophone of sorts called Cerberus, which is drawn from Greek and Roman mythology. Um, and uh, each one of these albums presents a different kind of view of that. And um, I'm a big fan of, of certain science fiction writers, so I was thinking of this kind of myth science narrative as I was developing these different sounds for, for this album. Um, I think, let's see, so your question about uh, what kind of technology is involved is, is kind of straightforward. I'm using a combination of both uh, Max MSP, which is a software environment developed by Cycling74, and also Ableton Live. So it's kind of a combination of those two software environments. Um, creates a kind of context in which I can modify the, the sound of my saxophone. And you can do that uh, in real time, right? So you can play, in the, and these uh, software environments can, as you're playing, uh, really in some ways really respond, but also yeah. modify the sound that you're getting right at the moment, right? Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, that was a key element of the concept behind uh, the music on the album, was that, um, I mean, there, there are no overdubs, and everything is done in real time, as if you were to see me perform... Uh, with my electroacoustic setup at a concert, which is also something I've been doing the last five or so years, actually longer than that, probably 10 years. I started with um, guitar stomp boxes and wanting to sort of mimic what Hendrix and others could do on their electric guitars, <laughs> and gradually I got tired of carting around all those pounds of, <laughs> of stomp boxes and moved to, the, to, to, to a laptop and gradually found my way towards Max MSP. So does uh, does playing in this kind of electroacoustic environment? I, I imagine there are times when it, it causes surprise. Even though you are the only actual human involved, there are there are moments when things happen to the sound of your instrument, or things come back at you that you didn't plan for, right? Yeah, well, th that happens on two levels. Um, on on one level, you as a saxophonist, you know, our our sounds are really kind of complex beasts. <laughs> there isn't. 
um, you know, we can't use mutes on our saxophones, for instance. Um, the sound comes from all of the open tone holes. And in addition to that, the actual sort of acoustics of the sound are really quite complex. It's, uh, you know, a saxophone tone is, is, is a far cry from, uh, from a sine wave. So you never quite know exactly how a saxophone sound will translate through different kinds of effects. I mean, you develop a... You know, for, for me, I develop certain kinds of effects that I'll use so I know over time through trial and error what certain things are going to sound like, and I can count on those as a reliable piece of my vocabulary. But you never really know um, in certain situations. Uh, in addition to that, there's another level of uncer- oops, excuse me, uncertainty that I was really interested in, in exploring on this album. Um, this comes in part through the influence of George Lewis, who was one of my mentors, the trombonist and composer, electronic musician. I was really taken by his, his um, software uh, called Voyager, which is this interesting sort of, um, piece of software that improvises with other improvisers and Im- improvises is sort of in scare quotes there because what you know when when we have when we give agency to a computer there's a, a lot of different kinds of theoretical moves happening there um, so I was interested in expanding that concept a bit and I developed uh, some software in the max MSP uh, programming environment that essentially improvises to a certain degree with me as I play but it does so based um, on sampling so it will listen to what I'm playing, and then it will decide on its own whether or not it's going to sample what I'm doing. And then it will decide on its own whether or not it's going to play back what, what I've done, um, what it just sampled me doing. And then also it decides whether or not to modify that in a whole variety of ways that it sort of has at hand. So it creates this sort of interesting theoretical synchronicity as as pieces develop. So on Cerberus Raining, uh, for instance, there's a series of pieces that are subtitled Synchronous Ether, and all of those use this special software that I developed. Um, and each one sounds really different, so you can, you can get a sense of how broad just those simple kinds of decision-making processes, putting those in the computer, can, it can really broaden what the, the possibilities as you're playing. Thank you. 
and it certainly has a has kind of a uh, personality of its own and temperament of its own. Sometimes you play with the computer in this environment where you don't quite know what's going to happen, and it has bad days and it has good days. And um, I tried to limit the bad days that are on the album. <laughs> It, it strikes me, this may be a ridiculous thing to say, but it strikes me that there are some ways in which the computer's improvisation might actually be freer than the human being's because the human being only has the sum total of the things in in the person's experience uh-huh. to draw on for improvisation, whereas the computer, given it is not completely random because it's taking some input, but it seems like it can generate an almost infinite variety of permutations because it, it really has no experience to draw from. It has no preconceived notions of where something should go next. It only has its programming parameters and whatever you put into it. So it's it seems like in some ways it could be even even a little bit freer in its expression of the music, and that, that may not be true. I don't know. I'm just thinking that out loud. Well, that's a really interesting comment. For me, one of the things that starts to happen as we give more decision-making power to computers and to software we start to step into the realm of, you know, the discourse around uh, artificial intelligence. And as we give more agency to the computer, the question becomes, when does it start thinking on its own? So some people might actually think that we have more agency um, to, to sort of make decisions in the moment when we're improvising. And computers have less because ultimately computers are just a series of algorithms. And um, it would be very boring for me to go into all the details of this, but in, in, in the software that I've developed, it really is a series of algorithms um, that I've created that sort of uh, give, it, uh, give the computer different options when it goes to make a decision. Now, the options may be so broad that, that we might not be able to sense that certain only certain patterns are developing, um, but nevertheless, there is a, sort of a limit to the, the computer's agency there, or maybe not. <laughs> I like the idea of of computers having intelligence at a certain point. So that's one of the things that the the, the pieces, synchronous ether, the synchronous uh, excuse me, synchronous ether pieces um, really touch upon is this sort of debate about where intelligence and agency deve- um, emerges in these kinds of uh, in these kinds of software environments. So uh, moving along the path of uh, least to greatest number of human beings involved in the project uh, brings us to an album on Clean Feed called Cerulean Landscape, uh, which is a duet record uh, with you and the pianist Anthony Davis. Can you talk about your relationship uh, with Anthony and how this record came about? Yeah, sure. Uh, Anthony and I have been playing together as a duo since uh, sometime around 1998. When I moved to, to, from the San Francisco Bay Area to San Diego, um, he was one of the reasons why I, I, I made the trek from, from the north to the south there in California. Um, I was interested in studying with him, and, and, um, and in particular studying composition and improvisation. And that initial, the, our, our initial relationship in that context turned into a, a collaboration, uh, which first um, sort of uh, first was um, emerged in the context of a recording project that was released on Accretions Records in 2002 called Tandem, which was a, a, a duo album of mine featuring a whole variety of collaborators, and a piece that I recorded with Anthony called CT in dedication to Cecil Taylor was the cornerstone of, of the album, um, something like 15 minutes long, and most of the other tracks were two minutes or three minutes long, so it was the cornerstone in, in various ways. Uh, I'm really drawn to the way that Anthony plays. Um, most people know him as a composer more now than, than, than in the past. 
Uh, he's well known for writing jazz operas, uh, for lack of a better term. And um, I've found that the kinds of orchestrational and compositional sensibilities that he that that come out in his composed work are absolutely fundamental to the way that he plays. So, in the duo context, and on this album, I played tenor saxophone, alto sax, uh, soprano sax, and alto flute. The combination of those instruments plus the way that he approaches the piano in this orchestral kind of way created almost limitless possibilities. So over the years, over those 12 years now or so, we've been continuing to develop different approaches to playing in the duo context. And sometimes that means revisiting older pieces of both his and mine. Um, So on this album, we play uh, two of his uh, well-known pieces from the late 70s and early 80s, Andrew, which is dedicated to Andrew Hill, and Of Blues and Dreams, which he first recorded... um, uh, in the late 70s with uh, James Newton, the flutist, and, and others. Uh, it's been a joy working, working with Anthony. It's, um, it's really a very fulfilling musical project. It's interesting, um, as we kind of move from you uh, alone, so to speak, to now you with, with one other partner, and then the next album we're going to talk about is is you with a, a full, for lack of a better word, more traditional, what we might think of as a, as a more ma- uh, traditional ensemble. Mm-hmm. Um, do, you, do you notice differences uh, in your playing and your approach to improvisation in how you position yourself within the music as you kind of add extra consciousnesses to... Uh, mm-hmm. To the environment? Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, I've, I, I do a lot of composing, but as I often say to people, I tend to compose for improvisers. I tend to create situations that really encourage improvisers to do different kinds of things. So I always look at making music as a, as a collaboration between myself and, and those that I'm playing with. So, um, for instance, in, in, in the duo with Anthony, one of our overarching concerns is this or I should say influences really is the the music of Duke Ellington and his really sophisticated sense of, of color and the blues so um, Cerulean Landscape is sort of in part dedicated to that um, but throughout the 
throughout that album, one might easily hear all of these Ellingtonian kinds of m- moody spaces that are about um, uh, color and texture and timbre coming out. So we've developed this sort of language and and uh, repertoire that's really about exploring those musical uh, interests, those common musical interests. my New York Ensemble project, uh, what I'm now calling the uh, Janus Ensemble, there was a similar kind of, uh, a similar interest on my part in really uh, mapping out mutual musical interests between me and my collaborators. Um, And actually this started the very beginning, the earliest stages of the project. Um, I I sought out um, collaborators that had specific kinds of, of, of languages and vocabularies that they were exploring. And um, so, for instance, uh, I I went to Drew Gress, the bass player, excellent, amazing, well-known bass player, virtuosic uh, bass player in the New York scene. He's uh, known for the incredible uh, technical uh, virtuosity in his playing, expressive uh, expressivity in his playing. Uh, You really hear that come out in his own projects. Um, So I I, I was really interested in working with him. Uh, George Schuler is incredibly versatile and creative uh, drummer uh, based there in Brooklyn, and he and I had started playing together as a trio with bassist Andrew Emmer. And uh, one of the things that drew me to George's uh, playing was his his compositional sense and and this incredible record of uh, amazing projects that he's led or co-led. Um, Orange Than Blue, the large ensemble in the past that he used to lead, um, his own smaller groups today. He's not just a, a drummer, a, a great, incredible drummer. He's also a band leader and composer. And finally, Liberty Elman is the other sort of core component of the of the quartet. Liberty and I have a history together that goes back to, to California. And we were both very briefly together uh, in the San Francisco Mime Troupe, playing in the, the band that accompanies the San Francisco Mime Troupe. We share the same alma mater, uh, Sonoma State University, where we both studied with an incredible bassist, Mel Graves, who passed away recently. 
And um, Liberty, right at, at the moment, Liberty's most well known for playing with in uh, Henry Threadgill's Zoe Project. And uh, Liberty has an amazing lyrical and uh, rhythmic sense to his playing that I was really interested in bringing into this project. And um, finally, as a saxophonist, I I rarely get the opportunity to to perform or or record with other saxophonists, other reed players. So I started to to brainstorm the project a bit, and and it at a certain point it became just this sort of natural choice to invite two of my uh, good friends and uh, and amazing uh, revolutionary really horn players uh, Marty Ehrlich clarinetist and saxophonist and Rudresh Mahantapa um, and what I did was I developed uh, a series of pieces original pieces that would really draw upon the individual vocabularies of, of each of these instruments uh, excuse me each of these musicians um, so if you listen to the album the two faces of Janice you'll Notice that each each tune it has this sort of different language that it, it explores, and in large part that comes from the particular collaborators that are on those tracks. just mentioned that that is the album uh, that you've been talking about the two faces of janice which is on cuneiform records um and i will also self-servingly mention that uh rudresh was on the show a couple weeks ago and and marty a few months ago and folks can uh, can check that out at the jazz session.com so um yeah I- i'm interested uh i guess in how you approach especially when you have a when you have a band like this one on the two faces of janice which is as you've already stated made up of of band leaders of people with many years of both compositional and improvisational uh, experience um what what do you see as your role as the band leader what is your role in bringing the project together how do you direct them in the studio uh, how much of a compositional framework uh, is there for these pieces so on and so forth um, well, on a certain level, it's kind of like herding cats. So maybe I'm a shepherd of some sort. <laughs> Trying to get everyone in the same room at the same time with, with people like that is, is always uh, a challenge, but a very rewarding challenge. I mean, when it happens, um, when you start making the music, it, it is just an incredible joy. Um, one of the things that I did was I thought very carefully about 
the kinds of approaches that each um, that that each of my collaborators is um, the kinds of approaches that are central to their sounds, kind of already central to their sounds. So several of the pieces that I wrote, the the types of melodies, the types of harmonies, the types of imp- context for improvisation, are st- in my mind are s- sort of like natural fits to the way that each of those those people already play. Um, so for instance, if you listen to um, if you listen to uh, Persephone's Scream, or if you listen to The Two Faces of Janice, the, the title track, both the melodies and the context for improvisation are, they're, they're sort of right up the alley of Rudresh, for instance, the kinds of, the, 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 the angular approach that he tends to have, the kinds of chromaticism that tends to be in his playing. I specifically sought to develop um, uh, these kinds of musical aspects that would be sort of within his his uh, normal vocabulary, but at the same time, then I start thinking about I started thinking about ways in which I could push that vocabulary just a little bit, could nudge him in some different kinds of directions, and this was happening pretty much on all levels with everybody involved in the project. I was sort of thinking on those levels, those two levels, like where is the kind of center of each of uh, my friend's vocabularies, and then how might I sort of nudge that in various different kinds of directions just to see what happens. Um, I mean, I'm an improviser at heart, and uh, the unknown is really important to me in, in the music that I make. Even if it's in a kind of pre-composed context, I'm interested in different things happening each time a, a tune is performed. Or I'm interested in creating situations where where uh, my collaborators and myself were confronted with different kinds of decisions that we need to make. And it's in those situations that some of the most beautiful music can happen, in, in my opinion. Um, there's a lot of risk involved, so it doesn't always work. But when it does work, it's incredibly fulfilling for me. Jason, are there uh, upcoming chances for people to see uh, you in any of these contexts? Sure. Uh, uh, one of my long-standing groups, Cosmologic, will be playing in in Los Angeles at the Eagle Rock Center for the Performing Arts, which is this uh, has a long-standing 
Sunday, once a month, first Sunday of each month series, curated by the uh, amazing uh, percussionist Alex Klein, twin brother of Nels Klein, the guitarist, and that's in Pasadena in, in the Los Angeles area. So that's on Sunday, January 2nd. You could learn about that by going to cosmologic.org. Um, also, I'm performing in San Diego, uh, just coming up here in about a week and a half or so, with several of my Southern California collaborators. We're presenting a special con- uh, concert celebrating the music of Wayne Shorter, which is really rare for me. Most of the time these days I, I'm performing my own music, so I'm excited to be able to go back to some of my roots and and take and, um and sort of approach Wayne Shorter's music from my kind of my own perspective. That's at Dizzy's, a club called Dizzy's in San Diego on Saturday, December 18th. Uh, you can learn about that at my website, uh, jasonrobinson.com. Um, also, starting early next year, the Janus Ensemble will be giving some concerts. Our first one will be happening in Massachusetts in Western Mass and Amherst at Amherst College uh, on April 4th. No, not April 1st. March. In March. You need to look at my website for that. I'm forgetting the exact date, but I think it's March 6th or 7th. Fantastic. And are there things uh, you would like to mention that I haven't asked you about? Let's see. I'll point out a couple of things. I'm a member of a musician's collective based in San Diego, uh, California. We now have members sort of spread out all over the place, but the musician's collective is called Tremor Flora. And um, we have a website, tremorflora.org, and uh, we're a collective dedicated uh, to supporting creative music in California and beyond, um, experimental and improvised music, so people can check that out and learn more about everything that's happening over there on the left coast. That's great. The uh, three albums we've been talking about today are Cerberus Raining uh, on the Accretions label, then Cerulean Landscapes on the Clean Feed label, and the two faces of Janus on the Cuneiform Records, and all three are united by Jason Robinson, who's been my guest today. Jason, it's been a real pleasure to listen to these records, and uh, a great, a great joy for me to talk to you about them today. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Jason. It's been great.
That's music from Jason Robinson, who's got three new records out, uh, solo, duo, and full band projects all out now. I'm Jason Crane. This is The Jazz Session, presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is available for free at TheJazzSession.com. You can also subscribe in iTunes or using an RSS reader, and there are links to do that at TheJazzSession.com. Please join the jazz session if you would. I need 300, no, that's not true. I need 100 members by the 300th show in order to keep this thing afloat. And I've got 10 already in the first uh, several weeks, which is great. So please join those folks and uh, become a member of the jazz session. Details on how to do that are at thejazzsession.com slash join. Also, don't forget to go to podcastawards.com and vote for the jazz session in the cultural arts category. And if you're looking for other people to vote for, might I suggest Citizen Radio. They're nominated in two different categories, and you can check them out online at wearecitizenradio.com. Thanks also to uh, the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this show. They're at respectsextet.com, and they've got a bunch of albums, all of which are well worth your time, the most recent of which is Farcical Built for Six. And my thanks to Dave Rabel for designing the show's logo. Get out there now and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Bye. Bye.